It's good to see everybody today. Um, why don't you guys open up your Bibles to the book of Mark, where we're going to be today. I was looking, we're in Mark chapter 13. You guys have almost done one of the whole Gospels. We got three chapters to go, and then we'll have been through all of Mark together. That's cool, right? Yeah. You know, there's something so special about God's word for sure. It's true, and it's a lamp to our feet, and it gives us guidance and wisdom and instruction, and, and, it, and it equips us to be all the things, mature, more like Jesus. Um, there's something super, super special, though, about when you get to look at the person and work of Jesus. As you go through what's called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the account of Jesus' life and ministry when he walked the earth and the conversations he actually had. And, and now we, as, we, as we near the end of the Gospel of Mark, we're in Jesus' last week before he was crucified. The last week of his life before he was crucified. We know he was buried, he was crucified on a Friday, Good Friday, rose again on early on uh, first day of the week, the Sunday morning, was alive on earth for a period of 50 days after he rose again, which you look at in some, the end of the, the Gospels, have different accounts of what Jesus did in those 50 days. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. Physically, they, the, the disciples watched him go. I always think that, remember when you're a kid and you accidentally let go of your balloon? And it goes, you're like, it's right there, it's right there, it's right there. And then you get sidetracked and then you look for it again and you're like, where? And then you sit there and you're looking and looking and then you're like, oh, there it is. Until it just disappeared. I always feel like the disciples are all, no, I still see him. He's right there. And he's still, no, right there. And then all of a sudden he was gone and they were looking and the angels showed up and said, why are you guys straining your neck looking into heaven? For he who has gone from you will come again in like manner. And then gives, the angel gives them instructions. But you, go to Jerusalem. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, which will come upon you. And then you're going to be my Jesus said you would be his, we would be his witnesses, that we would tell the world, they specifically then would tell what they had seen, what they had heard, what Jesus has taught. These are the things that we learn and look at when we look at Jesus' life. It's beautiful. Our calling is the same. So I have such a special place in my heart for the conversations Jesus had, for the teachings when he taught his 12 disciples. We say it's Peter, we say it's John, but I always, for me, sorry to talk in the third person because it's always sort of weird, but I'm like, that's to JJ. I always put myself in there, and these are things that Jesus is speaking to me, and if he's speaking them to me, and I receive them from me, know this, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's speaking them to you too. So when we gather on a Sunday and we listen to these conversations, these things that Jesus is wanting to say and teach, we don't want them to just go in here and out here and come and hang out, eat some donuts, drink some coffee, slap some high fives, and then go back to our regularly scheduled program. But we want these things, Jesus wanted them to, to roll around in there for a while. He wanted them to mess you up in the head a little bit and mess you up in the heart a little bit and that it would change the way that you talk to people. Maybe we would talk to people more like how Jesus talked to people. Maybe we would look at people more like the way Jesus looked at people. Can you guys tell I'm excited? Gospel of Mark. We are going to be in chapter 12. Short little text today. The title of this morning's message is Dual Citizenship. Dual Citizenship. Mark chapter 12. And beginning in verse 13 through verse 17 says this. And they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and they said to him, teacher, 
We know that you are true, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Little flattery. It's always, you know, you butter them up before you. And here's their question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to him, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance to freely gather in a building that we can rent. In a city that has no restrictions on uh, this type of gathering and in a country that allows it as well. We're super grateful for that. We know that that's not everybody's story, but that's the story that the reality that we have today, that we get to come and do this um, just because we want to. We're really grateful for that. But Lord, may this not just be a place where we can just come and get away from everything, but may this be a place where we come and we set our lives and ourselves apart from our everyday um, kind of routine to hear. We want to hear from you, Lord. We, uh, We need your guidance. We need your power. We need your love. So we open up our our Bibles, and we also open up our minds, our hearts, and our hands, Lord. And we ask that you would um, that you would speak to us today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. They sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Now, remember, Jesus was coming back into town. This is a continuation of this happened in the same setting as last week's message. When you look through these these last chapters of the Gospels, there's if you have what's called a red letter Bible, where it's like all the stuff Jesus says is in red. These last bits, there's a lot of red in there because Jesus has a lot of things to say and the and the 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 writers of the Gospels wrote a lot of it down. So this last week, there's a lot of back and forth. This is Tuesday where they're trying. We just read Jesus said the people that they missed the point. Remember, they they loved Jesus' rule. You're the king. But they missed his role, came to die, came to serve. And now we have, and it, it already says chapters before, that they had it set in their mind that they were going to have him killed. That was the end goal. We've got to get rid of Jesus. That's how bad the religious leaders missed the point. And so they're looking for a way to trap him. You ever felt trapped between a rock and a hard place? You can't, no matter what I say here, I can't get out of this thing. Or no, no matter what I say, someone's not going to be happy. Well, the Herodians and the Pharisees, they were not friends. They represented two entirely different systems that were opposed to one another, but when it came to going toe-to-toe with Jesus, it was all they needed to join forces. That's how much of a threat Jesus posed to their way of life. So they come to him and they say, what does the law say? Here's their, their deal. What does the law say regarding the paying support of a ruling system that doesn't follow God? That's what they say. Jesus, what say you? Should we support this oppressive system that doesn't recognize 
the God that we serve as king. See, Rome said Caesar is king, actually said that Caesar was sort of like a small g God on earth, God's representative on earth. Hail Caesar. So when you said that, it was like announcing your um, allegiance to not just the king, but all that is taken up in, in the Roman Empire. So they're like, I got an idea. Jesus is either going to have to say, so the Pharisees, number one, were against paying taxes because they were against Roman rule. They didn't, want, they didn't want Rome to tell them what to do, but that was the way the world was. So they were against paying the taxes. As a matter of fact, have you ever heard of Simon the Zealot? He's one of the 12 disciples that followed. Zealot was, uh, they were, who's seen, um, what's it called? The Chosen. So that Zealot, he's almost like a secret assassin or something. That dude's gnarly. Uh, Simon in the, in the movie, in the show. But anyways, they were very much against, they were organized in fighting back against the oppressive Roman rule. That's how much they were against it. The Pharisees were against it. The Herodians were for it. Why? They worked for the Roman government. So they were down with Herod. They were down with Roman rule that's the system they supported. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were not really down with each other. But they said, oh, you know what? Let's put Jesus in the middle of this. Because no matter what he says, either you can accuse him or I can accuse him. As long as either one of us can find fault with him to discredit him. That's what they wanted to do. So here's their deal. Is it lawful or not to pay taxes? You know, since the year... 6 AD, so year 6, the Jews were forced to pay taxes directly into the emperor's treasury for the emperor to do with them what he wanted. Um, they did not recognize Roman rule as legitimate, but they, most people uh, grudgingly paid, paid it. They had to, but nobody liked it. Because it wasn't just the money, it was also about the principle of paying to the Roman oppressor. So a yes, a yes, you should pay taxes answer from Jesus was to say, yes, you should support Roman rule. And the Pharisees thinking was, how can the, our king, the Messiah, pay homage to another king? So if Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes, they're like, boom, that discredits him with everybody because he's saying there's a king greater than him. Remember two weeks ago, the triumphal entry? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So they were saying, Jesus is king. And now they were like, should we pay taxes? If Jesus is like, yeah, you should. Then that's what they thought they could accuse him for. But a no answer, no, you shouldn't, though it would have looked good to the zealots and to the people who were all about Jesus' rule, if Jesus would have been like, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, this, this other system that doesn't recognize God, although it would have looked really good to the zealots and to um, some of the Pharisees, it would have raised flags to Rome who simply did not put up with any uprisings against Caesar. On the surface, they thought that no matter what Jesus said, they would have grounds to accuse him of something because he was going to have to join a side. But under the surface, where Jesus tends to roll a lot of the time, Jesus focuses his words on a deeper issue for us to be, for, to be learned then and for us to learn now. Look at verse 15. Starting this, but knowing their hypocrisy. How much does Jesus know? He knows everything. For we look at the appearance of a person, but God looks unto the heart, the Bible says. So knowing that they weren't coming to him to learn from him in humility, 
but coming to trap him in pride. It says, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and look at it. Jesus is going to move their discussion where they're trying to trap him in politics, and he's going to teach a principle. He often does that. Moves things from politics to principle. Let's look at what he does. Did you guys know that human government was God's idea? To have human ruled and run government was God's idea. It's not a plan B to what God designed. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, God created all the little fishies of the sea and the animals of the ground and all the creeping things. I think they're still discovering different creeping things all the time. Um, then he created man and woman. And here's what he said. He gave them instruction to govern the world, to rule it, have dominion over it. Man and women are created in God's image, meaning he, there so many things about God's characteristics you have. You have the ability to create. You have the ability to um, rule over, either for good or for bad. But God has given that, and he says, I want you to take care of the world. You know, we should care more about the world than anybody because God entrusted it to us to take care of, and God cares more about the world than anybody else. We should care the, the most about another human because God cares the most about another human. He, so in having that in us, we have the ability to look at a situation and be like, here's some problems. Here's some possible solutions. The problem is, Oftentimes, we govern things apart from falling on our knees and saying, God, what would you do here? And, and really leaning into maybe how God would lead us forward. But nonetheless, he created humans to govern, to have dominion, to set up structures and systems. Different people will do it differently from each other. And most definitely, people will do it differently than God would. And this is where the church across the world and through the ages finds itself, asking questions like this. Do we follow God or do we follow the world? They use it with taxes. What should we do? Is it over here or is it over here? I want to talk about three things that I believe under this principle of that Jesus wants to show us of what it is to live in this tension, to live in this place where we have, well, first, first thing is this, jot this down. You are part of two systems. You're part of two systems. Let's finish, um, finish up but knowing their hypocrisy verse 15 he said to them why do you put me to the test bring me a denarius and let me look at it okay a denarius is a roman coin which i a deep dive on this and i didn't put it in my notes but i'll give it to you for free anyways is if one of the pharisees would have had a roman coin on them so they were saying jesus should we pay taxes to rome they said they shouldn't it actually would have been against um their practice of God's law to even have one of those Roman coins in their pocket. So if, who knows, but some commentators said, Jesus said, maybe to test them back a little bit, like, let me see a denarius. And if someone, one of them been like, oh yeah, I got one right here. You know, this will be, we'll trap them real quick and caught them in their hypocrisy like that. Because the people that really look to enforce God's rule, they didn't never followed it themselves anyways. And um, that's what legalism is. We, we put all these rules and regulation on what someone else is be doing, what someone else should be doing, all the while we're judging them in our heart for them not doing it. It's legalism, never judgment, legalism, that never works well uh, for anybody. So anyways, uh, he said, let me see a denarius. And they brought him one. 
and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And then here's the famous verse, verse 17. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And then it says, And they marveled at him. This word, word marvel means like, I always think about the cartoon where the jaw's like, oh, down to the floor, and then the eyes bulge out. Just like, dang, that was good. That was a perfect response. How do you respond to that? The portrait, whose image and like, likeness is on this coin? So this coinage would have had a picture of probably of Caesar Tiberius, who was the reigning Caesar at that time would have had his face on it. And the inscription on the back would have read this, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And it would have said, chief priest. Whose image is on this coin? You know, Caesar paid to have those coins made. They came from his royal treasury they were the money that was used in circulation to buy and sell goods under the roman province what came along with that coin is all the infrastructure and everything that went into the roads that people used to travel there was many things that happened for the good of the world because of rome there was a lot of stuff that happened that was bad and jesus is saying whose quarters are those well, they're Rome's quarters. But they use them every day. Here's the thing about two systems. Being a Jesus follower. Now, I'm going to talk primarily of the rest of our morning to those of us that are following Jesus. Because can we be honest and say, it's actually hard to navigate this two-system world what it looks like to follow God, and sometimes what it looks like to follow man-made government systems and structures, and it, they seem to be opposed to each other, and it's just hard sometimes to navigate this. Jesus is speaking to us here, um, and I don't, I don't want to miss this. Both systems require your contribution. They both require something of you. Both ask you to contribute to something bigger than yourself. And Jesus was thinking something deeper while he's teaching his followers. And while we're going to spend time talking about that, I want to talk to you also in here today who don't yet know Jesus or have decided to let him be one of, the, one of the ways in your life in which you follow. We're going to talk about what it looks like to walk in both. Be, one of the reasons that Jesus has the perfect answer and walks through this, did you know that the audience that the Gospel of Mark was written to? This is a little bit uh, deeper level question, but each one of the Gospels kind of has a specific audience. Did you know that Mark was penned by Mark? It was based on... Peter's ex life and experience, and it was written with emphasis to Roman people, people who grew up under the Roman Empire who weren't Jewish. It was written for them out there, for the people who don't, don't know the backgrounds, who don't know the heritage and the history. It was written for them. So this incident was especially relevant to Mark's readers for it indicated that Jesus did not foster disloyalty to the state in which they grew up. Like he was anti their upbringing and what they knew, but it shows that he actually has a heart of inclusion for the entire Roman audience. It showed that their families and their way of life was important to Jesus, even if they didn't know it yet. I think that is so relevant in our world today. People are like, yeah, you can go do your church thing. That doesn't have any weight or bearing on, on my family because 
there's just no crossover. The, the thought is that Jesus doesn't care about them as well because maybe their experience of the church or some other thing. But the reality is God cares deeply for those who do not yet know him and have another upbringing or set of other governments, other, other sets of, you guys know what I'm saying, right? Jesus like cares about the outsider, the sojourner, the foreigner. Like he cares deeply about that. And so he's telling his people that by this answer, that there is a way to exist in the middle of these two worlds, to have dual citizenship. Dual citizenship or dual nationality means being a citizen of two countries simultaneously and sharing the rights and responsibilities of the citizen in each country. It means that you can live in two different places, which would be cool. I know we have some dual citizens in here today. You can go to Canada whenever, fine. That's great, not jealous. You can get a job up there. Apparently I had dual citizenship. I missed out on it because I didn't know about it till it was too late. I needed to get all the papers done by 18th. But I could have had dual citizenship in the UK because my mom was first generation American and um, it passes one generation. But when I was 17, 18, all I thought about was myself. I was like, who cares? Now I'd be like, man, that would be sweet to have. Go travel and do some stuff. But dual citizenship means that you can live in two places, but here's also what it means. It doubles your responsibility. It's actually harder. We think it's cool because you can escape, but you have the rights to both, but you have the responsibilities of both. And that is what Jesus is saying here. So point one, you are part of a two-part system. There are two things at play. The second one, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a dual citizen in this world. You live in two places at the same time. The coins we spend, and I don't have, my money doesn't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. Anybody? No, just the young people. Okay. Um, where am I? You live in two places. The coins that we spend... They bear the image of a man. Who's on a quarter? Who's on a $100 bill? Mm, all about the Benjamins. The coins we spend literally bear the image of a man. They represent and support a system of rule built and governed by man. Regardless of what the fine print says, in God we trust, that's awesome. Maybe that... That can be the heart of a system, but the little D on my quarter says this thing was printed in Denver. I always look because Denver has a mint, and it's really cool. And it, that's our, our money represents a system built by humans, by man. The coins we spend bear the image of man. They represent and support a system of rule built and governed by man. But you and I bear God's image. And we represent a su and support a system of rule built and governed by God. And we, like Jesus, are to have a foot in both worlds and somehow live in the middle. And one way we do this is not from, by taking from both, but by giving to both. Here's the third point. Not only do we have dual citizenship, it is God's desire that we would be actively involved in both of them. This is one of the points that the Pharisees missed. This is one of the points that the Jewish people missed Jesus' first time around. This is one of the things that's so easy for a Christian or for the church to miss. 
is because one represents a system governed by man, and we desire to live in a place that is governed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we can, we can forget that we are part of a two-system life. We can miss out on this whole thing that God wants to do because we don't have a, we're not engaged. It's so easy as life gets harder, as things get more polarized in our world, and people get driven further apart, it's so easy to look and just be like, no, I can't, I can't go over here because of these things. And these are, there's some very real hurdles and things that we have to navigate and try to discern. But the problem is, is Jesus, remember I said two weeks ago, and I've just been thinking about it the whole time. It's easy, it's possible to stand on the, the right side of an issue and still not be standing where Jesus would stand. Because it says that Jesus came and made his place amongst the most destitute, the most broken. And it's like this hard thing. It's easy to miss the point when we're so over here. I've heard it said sometimes people, Christians are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. And I was like, that is so cheesy when I heard that. But you know what? There's a, there's a ring of truth to it. Sometimes we can forget because we're all about Jesus' rule. We miss his role. So how do you do that? How do you hold fast to God's word and God's ways and Jesus is your king and live with a foot in this other world when you don't agree with the way that your taxes are being spent with the way some of the laws that are in place well we do that by remembering a couple of things number one you are under God's placed authority I'll read them all to you but it's all over the New Testament that God regardless of the leaders of the land God has placed them and you by the way you place yourself either under them or over them or however you do in your heart shows your allegiance, it shows that our faith that God knows what he's doing and that we are part of two different worlds that are happening. And we, like these people that were trying to trap Jesus, are not given a way out of one world, but given a way in and a way forward. Notice what Jesus does. They were looking for a way out, either out of Roman rule and Jesus doesn't give them a way out. He gives them a way in. Here's basically what he says. We're not to tear down, build walls. Sorry for being cheesy, but our whole church is named after it. He said, I want you to build some bridges. A bridge between country, countries. I was thinking about bridges this morning. I've been thinking about bridges way more than normal people think about bridges for about the last seven years. Is that a good church name? Is it too cliche? Is it this? There's these other bridges, and then I think about bridges. And I'm like, oh, bridges are cool. It's like my bro I'm like, I just want to stop thinking about bridges for a minute. But you know, it's all the bridges do is they connect two worlds. They connect two places. They could be very different places. They could be very similar places. Bridges have to have all sorts of things. They have to have good foundations. And you know what they, the strongest foundations come from? An anchor point on both ends, which is hard. There has to be a good connection to both ends. And then depending on what kind of bridge is built in between, there's, there's all sorts. Let me tell you about them. I'm just kidding. But you know what's cool is a bridge is a place where people cross over from one to another. Oftentimes there are transition points, which makes it hard because Jesus actually calls us to live on this thing, kind of in the middle. But I was thinking today, just this morning, I was like, you know, bridges have to hold a lot of weight. They're actually designed to be strong on other people's behalf. 
Bridges are cool in their own right. Someone designed them. Someone built them. There's a lot of tension and forces at play, but actually the bridge doesn't benefit itself. It benefits everybody else. And did you guys know that the spirit of the church, it's not to be anti-culture, against culture. It's supposed to be a counterculture, something that simultaneously exists that's on a different wavelength but, can, but exists in the same thing. We have to be constantly reminded as followers of Jesus, we're not called to be anti-culture, anti what's going on in the world. Even though there are things that we are not for, we want to be a counter-culture. Because if we live constantly pointing to the bad in someone else, we'll never live to the potential of what we're called to be. doesn't mean that you have to be like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, great. Nothing. It means that our primary focus is not to be anti. It's to be different, counter, for the things of the kingdom of God, not to just benefit us, but also those. I'm going to blow your minds in a second. I got a couple of texts that I want to show you what I'm talking about. If you're a Bible page flipper, that's a technical term, um, flip over to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. If you're not, that's okay. You can look it up. But write this down. Go back and look at it later. I want to read to you guys this. About not being an anti-culture, but another culture. About existing in God's kingdom and also existing in the kingdoms of the world and being in the middle and that God, you're not trapped, you're placed. Check this out. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. So this is Jeremiah, the prophet, writing to the, the Jewish nation as they were taken into captivity into Babylon. Another oppressive rule. They were actually taken from their homeland and to live in another place for a period of 70 years, and then God allowed a remnant. Remember? I was going to plug an old sermon series because it was good. Um, allowed a remnant to come back and start rebuilding. But Jeremiah wrote a letter to the people who were taken into captivity, and this is a portion of the letter. This is what, uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 4, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. And this is not what meek and mild God says. This is what the commander of all of the armies of heaven, the commander-in-chief, the king, this is what he says to you who are living in this uh, rule that you don't like. Here's what he says. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, exclamation point. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. That does not fit in a polar, you're over here or over here mindset or heart set. Jesus does a different thing. He navigates the middle perfectly. And this is what it looks like to be a believer when there's two opposing seemingly opposing things vying for our attention and our resources and our just us. Jesus says, don't succumb to this. Uh, don't hide from it. I'm going to call you to do a new thing that's going to affect everybody around you. Not only does he say, don't hide from the city, he says, pray for it. Someone, as we were praying this morning before church, which we do every Sunday at 9.15. So if you want to be part of what we're doing, and that's what we did the other night. We're asking God to do radical things to show that this stuff is real. 
It's not just something that a group of people gather on Sundays and talk about. It's actually what God is doing in the world. So we were praying this morning and someone prayed, a rising tide lifts all ships. I love that saying. Because as, as the Spirit of God is doing something, everyone is lifted up, whether they know it or not. But this is what we gather and this is what we pray for. We pray for the peace of our city. We pray for the brokenness of our city. We pray for the areas that aren't broken, that are prospering. We pray for God's work to be done in new ways, in greater ways. And it starts in here with us and what we're doing here. We have two homes, and the reality is we exist in the middle. But I was reminded that we aren't stuck here. We're placed here. God places people. Matter of fact, this bridge, this place we were standing, we were built for this. This is the thing we were built for. This is the thing you were built for. Yeah, it's hard. Yes, it's heavy. But bridges are strong. They're designed perfectly. I was just thinking about God's sovereignty and God's power. This is the very thing that Jesus has built us to do. If you don't believe me, I want to finish with these verses, John 17. In John 17, you'll notice the whole chapter is read because this is Jesus' prayer. Right before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus prayed this prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to pull out some verses for you guys. Verse 3, it says this. So remember, Jesus, just want you to think, Jesus is talking to the Father. They're having a, a conversation. So this is everything Jesus says, he's speaking to the Father. And he says this. This is eternal life. Ever wondered, what is it to have eternal life, to be saved? Do you have to pray a certain way? Do you have to do a certain thing? Actually, Jesus defined it right here. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know my prayer for people? Not to get them to pray a certain prayer always. It's like, God, help people to know you, not just more about you. We want people, I want you to know Jesus. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So when we look at conversations Jesus had with people, things that he did, places he went, he always had a purpose. It was to accomplish the work which he was sent to accomplish. Verse 6, here's what, what he did. I have manifested your name, shown your name to, to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you have given me. Let me pause for a second. What do you do as a pastor on a Sunday? You give the people the words that Jesus has given you. That's what we do as best we can. We try not to twist it. We're just people too. And we have feelings about things that are happening in the world and in all the, all the stuff, but we do the very best we can to give the words that Jesus gave us to give. And we pray like heck, pray like heck. Those so Ned Flanders. Um, we pray that the Holy Spirit would do what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do, would give us the words that Jesus has for us to teach people. But it's what Jesus did. He said... Um, I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I have come from you and they have believed that you sent me. He's talking about the, his followers right there, the 12. I gave them the words and they're part of my system, my kingdom that I rule. And then he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And then Jesus drops this bomb. He says this. 
I do not ask. This is a perfect prayer from God the Son to God the Father. And then Jesus says, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Oh. As you sent me into the world, here's the kicker, so I have sent them. Did you guys catch all of the stuff that's going on there? There is a setting apart. They are not of the world. They are mine. They're operating on a different level now by the spirit of God and the word of God. Would you, would you help them? Sanctify means to set apart. So there is a, a, a natural division that happens from the ways of the world. I have set them apart. He says, continue to set them apart by your word. Your word is truth. Do we need God's word? Amen. Amen. Do we need God's direction? Yes. Do we need all that Jesus would have for us? Yes. Will that mean that there is some separation that happens from either an old lifestyle or an old group of friends or destructive patterns in our life or destructive systems that are set up that are no good for me and my walk with Jesus? Is there a setting apart that happens? Yes. But then Jesus says, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, you know what Jesus does? He sends you. That's the hard part. That's what it looks like to live in the middle. You're not of the world. You're in the world, and Jesus sent us to the world. It's this place that we navigate in the middle. And that's what Jesus was saying when he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. There's part of you that has responsibilities to the place you live, to the taxes that you pay, to the systems. And this is great because we're so focused on where we live because we live in America. God bless America. I'm so pumped I live here. I had no choice in the matter. It's not like I was like, hey, I choose to be born in Texas. I mean, because everyone would choose that. Because, you know, God bless Texas with his own hands. Brought down angels from the promised land. That's a good song. Um, No choice in the matter. No choice in the parents I was born to. No choice in in the circumstances that I was born to. That's why the gospel is so rad, because it... It means the same thing regardless of where you were born anywhere in the world. You're part of a worldly system built and governed by man for good or for bad and part of God's system. That's why we give to God our lives, our attention, our focus, our finances, our allegiance, And that's also why we give to people. Isn't that the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It didn't say love your Christian neighbor as yourself. Matter of fact, Jesus said when he taught about the the neighbor, it was the person that was the least likely candidate. It was another human that you didn't have anything in common with. So around here... Our mission statement is simple. It's three words. You can unpack them all, but it's to gather, to grow, and to give. We believe if you live in the kingdom of God, where God's rule in your life is important to you, where you live in a way where you have put your life in Jesus' hands and said, Lord, I want your way for my life. Here's my brokenness, here's my sin, here's my, my stuff, and Jesus has received you because that's what he does. Then you live in the kingdom of God, and you're built for such a time as this. We have responsibilities to God and to government, to our families, to our churches, to our worldwide, because we were called to connect 
kingdoms. So gather, grow, give. I think it says somewhere in there, giving to God first. Our families, our church, our community, and to the world. That's the place that the church is called to live in. Here's a question. If the church ceased to to exist, would the world notice? You know, the first hospitals ever, Christian organizations to help people not like them. You know the symbol of the on the side of the ambulance where it's the, the, the snakes around the cross? Go read Exodus. See where that came from. Uh, missionary organizations to bring relief. If the church ceased to exist, would the world notice? The answer is yes. Matter of fact, it, it talks about a time where that's uh, going to happen. But here's my question to us. If the bridge were to stop existing, would Bellingham notice? Think about it all the time. My prayer is that if this church stopped existing, our city would mourn for her. That there would be something that's missing that's bridging the gap between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And in my view, that's you. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you don't just say, yes, go left, or yes, go right, but you actually say, follow me. It's much harder, Lord, but it's way more life-giving. And it's so, um, it's, it's unique even to us as we sit here today because we can say things like, Lord, thank you for this city we love it here and yet we can also say lord there are things about our city that are really hard and there are things about our uh, nation that are really hard there are things about the world that are really hard and maybe you would do them differently and but we believe lord you have dominion over all things and so We have our heart and our hands open to you and planted in the kingdom of God, and yet you ask us to have a foot and our hand and our hearts open to the needs of the world, to be connecting with people because that's what you did. And so, Lord, sometimes we feel tossed back and forth, but we just look to you. We ask that you would give us your heart We ask that you would give us your power and your love. May we receive it first. And out of the abundance of what you give us, may we show so much love and grace to others. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We sing this song in response to you. In Jesus' name, amen.